This is episode four, Charlie of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And uh, we're the, at the last FOSM talk. Hooray! So this is from 2013. This is more than a year and a half ago. I know. Just so everyone knows. And I was wondering if we were going to talk about more current things too. Is a, should we do... Because it's funny because I, I wanted to talk a tiny bit and just tell people that I, I keynoted at the Texas Linux Fest and I think that talk is online. Uh, and that will be a very long time ago by the time... I guess it'll be a long time ago by the time this is released because we're really we're, we're recording. We're getting these episodes down. We're yeah. we're committed to not having another hiatus. And we're giving a hard job to producer Dan now. So yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, but uh, that's if you, the situation. If you know Dan Lynch, tell him he's awesome. Um, if you know him, you already know that he's awesome. Um, you can listen to Linux Outlaws. <laughs> so this is a talk by Simo Source, which he mentions in the beginning that uh, that that I recruited him to give this talk, and he didn't want to. I should mention that Simo has the best last name. Uh, yeah, but it's not spelled that way. He gets upset when people spell it wrong. Yeah, but it, you know, you can make a joke about. He could make a joke if he wanted that there's no U in source, but that's yeah. not a very free software <laughs> yeah, mentality. No, but it's funny. So, so, uh, so <laughs> Simo gave a talk about free software licensing and licensing issues from a developer perspective because I felt like the dev room, did, the, the, the these the lawyers just come out. Uh, too much like like if you well it is a legal and policy room i mean i think well, we want and, the expertise and of lawyers, lawyers have gone to hogwarts and the rest of us haven't so they know there were just these muggles who can't possibly talk about these <laughs> issues so we should only let lawyers speak right that's that's well, obviously not philosophy. but we do want a good number of lawyers we always have a nice balance we always have non-lawyers in the room whether it's well, the right more balance, recently I'm not sure. back then i mean think back to 2012 remember we're way in the past 2012 we didn't and that's why in 2013 i, I actively recruited people to speak who weren't lawyers didn't we always have non-lawyers speak? Yes, but we always most had you speak, and you're no, a non-lawyer. I, I didn't give a talk of my own. I was on panels, but I didn't give a talk of my oh, own until 2014. Oh, but you were a speaker. Not until 2014. Well, you were on a panel, so you were a speaker. Sort of. So. Anyway, here's okay. the talk. Okay, I think we're ready for the next talk from Simo. Yep. Thank you. Um, uh, just an apology first. Uh, the title seems to be something that may be contradictory or cause discussion. It's, it's just a title. Um, when Bradley asked me to make this talk, um, I mean, it's an idea to do something about licenses or not. Uh, he was really insisting that he wanted uh, a developer's uh, you know, experience, uh, less about lawyers talking about this. And during the days, uh, you know, coming to Boston, I changed my mind on what I was going to say. Um, he was insist every time was you know a bit dubious. He he was. Can you speak up a little? I can try. <clears throat> he was going to say, now I want a developer perspective, and, and this certain. I say, well, you want a developer perspective? I'll try to give you that. Uh, however, I don't want to <coughs> monopolize. Uh, my own talk. Uh, 
I would rather prefer to have discussion uh, because I'm just one developer and I cannot possibly say what is the developer's perspective on my own. I can give you my own idea what it is and I can give you what I think uh, may be an important point, uh, but I would really rather have a discussion about the point that I make, whether they make sense or maybe not. Uh, just one disclaimer, uh, I work for Red Hat, uh, but everything I'm saying is not, has not been vetted by Red in any way. I am also involved with other uh, uh, organizations like Samba Team. Uh, I am also involved with conservancy to some degree, so all the opinions here are my own, and that's it. Uh, so, <coughs> I was trying to understand how, what is my perspective? Uh, what is the developer perspective? And I had to go back in time because uh, my own ideas on free software, of course, have changed. And I've been involved in free software for many, many years now. Uh, way too many, probably. <laughs> um, and, and I was trying to recollect how did I get involved with free software to understand you know, if my perspective really changed. And the only thing I can remember was the incredible confusion I had. Uh, when I first encountered something that was free software, um, it was really hard to wrap my head around what, what, what was copyright applied to software. I had no idea what was copyright at all, probably then. Uh, and I think by my interaction with younger developers these days, that uh, it is pretty much still the kind of experience new developers um, feel. Um, it is a bit different. Uh, I'm, I'm old. When I started with software, not even free software, uh, I didn't <coughs> know about the internet. I didn't have a modem. I was working at home, my own. Um, and I actually got exposed to the internet only when I got to the university. Um, today, <coughs> it is different. People get exposed to larger software community and free software communities much more easily, so they probably uh, meet this problem early in their life. But I think uh, it's still very difficult for people to wrap their heads uh, around software licensing. And they really, really actually have to only when they get in contact with open source software. Uh, because for any, everything else, uh, the licensing thing is really much more downplayed. Um, and, and my experience is kind of confirmed uh, when in my company uh, we hire someone that comes from proprietary development. Uh, they tend to have no idea what open source is and what licenses are. Um, in proprietary companies still, I hear uh, people uh, uh, that it gets said, you don't look at licenses, you don't look at other people's code, don't read GPL code, still, uh, even though that, that is changing. But I can still find people that get told, don't look at you know, open source code, you will be painted or whatever. And so these guys have really no idea what uh, copyright <coughs> is or what patents are. Right? That's IP, this new term, or not even you know, this term that is uh, uh, thrown by lawyers all the time, and they leave it at that. It's not their <coughs> job, it's not their business, so they don't really have no idea. Um, so that that's you know my my point of view. Um, 
the next thing, which is what introduce or may introduce people to actual uh, legal issues of software licenses, are reading a license. Uh, except that nobody reads a license. Uh, with proprietary products, uh, you, uh, you know, you know, ELAs are the only thing people may get in contact with. Um, I haven't never seen anybody ever reading one of those licenses, unless they are lawyers or real uh, advocates that are that have already a history of understanding copyright issues, and even them often done. Um, some private developers instead sometimes read the license, especially when exposed to free software. Uh, free software licenses tend to be uh, small enough documents that some people may venture in there. Uh, uh, my experience is that most remain quite confused. Um, the problem is that <clears throat> they have no background to understand what a license really means. Uh, because uh, a software license relies on a bunch of laws, copyright law, law and a bunch of others as well, that simply a, a, a normal person has no idea uh, what they say and what they mean, uh, and, and even just the language itself uh, necessarily needs to be the language of the law, is confusing because uh, the the meaning is not what the person that has never been exposed to the language might think it is. Um, so, it's understanding license becomes simply, you know, beyond whatever people have any willingness to, to do. It's, it's just too much work. Uh, there are some nut cases, like me, that actually try to understand what it is. Um, that was my case. I, I got sucked into this uh, legal stuff. Uh, by curiosity. Uh, I think I have a decent grasp of what uh, these things means. I'm not a lawyer at all, not even close. Uh, I probably misunderstand no less than 50% of what I read still. Uh, uh, I try to form my, an opinion on things, uh, but again, you know, there's only so much that one can do without have, you know, having uh, without having an history or you know preparation on these matters because it's really complex stuff um, and the rest of the people the people that don't care um, probably don't get even 10% of what what's really behind the license beyond the actual you know, feeling good or bad about it because the main thing drives people and I think in free software is the way they feel about the license they may feel good or bad about it uh, the fights I see are just, you know, I like GPL, I don't like it, or I like the slices, I don't like it, I like open source, I don't like it. But it's not because they understand the legal nuisance behind it. It's just a good gut feeling. Uh, sometimes placed with, you know, uh, financial motives or whatever else, but it's not about the actual meaning of the software. <coughs> um, and so I was thinking, you know, is there anything we can do to help letting people understand better uh, licenses? Maybe LCC way? I mean, this is an actual question I'm making. If you want to answer it, if you have an opinion, please. I really want to be interrupted. 
Um, because I don't have an answer to that. I, 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 I heard guys some interesting opinions in the talks uh, in this legal debrum uh, yesterday and maybe today and talking to people around. Uh, some people dismissed it because they don't like the CC licenses way of representing what the license means. Uh, however, uh, Richard Fontana talk uh, kind of raised the point again that is, you know, license is complex. Please. Well, uh, as you're asking for reactions, cool, cool. Uh, well, what I think is the fact that while the Creative Commons licenses, the way of working with the small logo is pretty simple and doesn't really cover <coughs> stuff. It's better than just saying this is GPL version 2 because it says nothing for most mobile users. And so I think that the, the CC's option of like giving a very simple icon, meaning already something more than just a little line of text saying some obscure name of a license, is already better. And perhaps some kind of summary, like a, an option in between, an option in between just a simple logo and full text might also be an option to get people to start understanding what their license is really about. Things I've been mm -hmm. ah, it's, a, it's a very good point. Uh, thank you. Does anybody else have a different opinion about that? Anything? Just feel free to. Yeah, yeah. Often the main points of a license are like very easy to grasp, but it's all these special points. What if I uh, make uh, a special use uh, for the part libraries and want to connect with them? or if I want to use yeah, that something in the Perfect, perfect. That yeah. drives me to the next question. Does it make sense to do that? I don't have an answer to that as well. I have the concept you have, but I also like his answer. So, does it really make it better or worse? Because from one point of view, you could say it makes better because at least people have a grasp of what they're uh, buying into when they start the developing software. On the other hand, as you said, is it going to conceal the real nature of the license? Is it going to make it too easy and people you know, get tricked in believing something that is not necessarily true? I don't know. It's, it's a very good question. I think it's a question that you know, this kind of audience should think more about. Uh, isn't there a hidden assumption here, basically, that uh, the developers are actually making rational choices about licenses, whereas uh, it might be that it's anything but that? No, no, I'm not making an assum any assumption about right or wrong choices by the simple reason my premise is that they don't understand the licenses. So it's impossible for most people to do a real rational choice on the license. Um, so I'm not saying that they are completely rational either. I mean, they have some information and they can work on the information they have. Uh, so it's not like they're just, you know, playing roulette. But uh, it, it's a very important point what you're making, of course. It, it, but how do we how do we help developers make a better choice for themselves? That's that's that would be my my idea. So are you are you targeting? Is the question about the users of the software or the developers of the software? I think it's a question for the users, the developers, and the legal community. Because they're all different use cases. Yeah, of course. Okay, but they all have a problem. Uh, users have a problem understanding what they're going to use. Has a Hmm? I don't think the legal community has a problem. I They're doing what they've always no, done. No, no, no. I think there is a problem there. I, I want to spy that. I, that. That's very good, uh, a good point. I want to spy what I think is the problem. Okay. Um, I think, and that, that, that's actually my last point, I think that the problem is that the legal community advocates risk leaving the developer communities behind. 
And let me try to explain why that. Um, I came here, and I have been involved with legal matters and free software uh, for a long time. However, in the last uh, six to five years, I've been rather busy uh, with actual software development. And I left all my advocacy work behind for, yeah, for seven years. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I have been in the anti-software pattern movement when I was still living in Europe. Uh, I was uh, connected and working actively in uh, free software advocacy groups, organization. I had contacts with NSFE, uh, with the Italian community where I, I was born. And um, I come here and there are some things I'm not aware of anymore. Now, I have a pretty strong background in this stuff. And I come here and I'm surprised by something. And that made me think, if I am surprised by these things, I'm not completely foreign to it. What do you think a developer that doesn't have an exposure to legal issues can understand? I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to understand half of what was going on. I mean, even just where the questions were from, where, where, what was, where, 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 where the problems, I cannot understand. Right. So my my concern that was really reinforced by being here past that was are we I'm I'm not complaining about we moving too fast or moving too ahead, much ahead is are we leaving people behind? I mean, should we do more to not do that? Could you give an example what surprised you? Because um, this surprised me. Yeah. yeah um, I think some of the discussion, discussion on the derivative works, uh, I was pretty familiar with that, but there are some derivative works. Uh, I, 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 I cannot give you really a list because uh, I'm still digesting, I, I'm still digesting this stuff, but I, I got this feeling there are some things I'm not really able to grasp the way I would like. <coughs> and, and so, I mean, it's just yesterday and today, so I haven't had time to internalize all this stuff. So I want I want I don't want to concentrate on any specific uh, example. Well, without having heard Phil's uh, lecture on derivative works, but I've been involved with that subject somewhat myself, I would say it's not so much as leaving behind as that free software uh, content forces legal professionals to revisit Parts of copyright law, proper copyright law, were probably were there for about a century, probably even, but are now laid bare. It's not so much as progressing further as more as, hang on, uh, the rabbit hole is somewhat deeper than it thought it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's fine. I mean, uh, as again, I'm not saying that there is any reason to slow down or change that, <coughs> but I think we're getting a bit complacent. I think he, uh, as this legal community, we they're starting giving for granted that a lot of people really <coughs> understand uh, the issue, even developers. I think we are a bit more, we think developers understand more about software licensing than, than that actually is. And that actually may, may not be true. So if, if you care and you're a developer, I think there's really good resources for giving advice on picking a license, which are, I think, pretty easy to understand. But most people don't care. Yeah. So. True. Is that a, I don't know if that's a problem necessarily. Well, I mean, from my point of view, it, it is. Uh, and it is because these people, uh, 
Well, a lot of developers have a career. They start small, they start with something, but they grow and they go on. And when they go on, they make decisions. Right. And they have more and more influence. And, and if they don't understand the decision they're making, they may just settle on a set of decisions that might not be optimal. Not saying they're wrong. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is the kind of thing I'm really, uh, th this is the main point I want to drive as a game. Uh, with my talk. The, I will go on uh, with a bit of history about how I got involved in this stuff. That might be, may give some insight, maybe, you know. But if you have questions that rise, or, you know, keep, keep asking. So, impact on the first license. Um, <coughs> I was thinking about that again uh, while creating this talk, <coughs> and I, I realized that the first license I actually met was the GPO. Uh, that might not surprise you, um, but it is surprising me uh, now, not back then. Uh, and I learned it about it because of Linux. Uh, and I didn't learn about FSF when I met Linux at all. And I don't think that's a problem. Um, however, uh, I have never read the actual license, although I, th I knew it was there. I had a sense of what it was. I had a sense that I liked the license because it allowed me to get the software, uh, but it hadn't, I had no reason to read it. I think like for five, four or five years after I met Linux, I, had, I still haven't read the license at all. And when I finally read it, I found it awesome. Um, but I wonder if it was an imprinting effect. I wonder if I, if I found it awesome because it was basically the only license I was familiar with. And because I had agreed to the social uh, construct around Linux that was about sharing, and I saw it, you know, its effect in action. So I wondered if I liked it that much because I liked the environment it created more than the actual license itself. Uh, and in retrospect, uh, now that I know the license and I learn a ton more stuff, I think I did not understand anything. <laughs> so it was probably an imprinting effect uh, for me. And I wonder if that's the same for other people. Uh, so why I think Kotlin is awesome, <laughs> um, mostly because of this reason, and I think this is the reason that I uh, subliminally uh, understood back then. I wasn't I probably have never been able to express them back then, but I haven't substantially changed. And <coughs> so the reason why I like it is because it allowed you to create a community. In that case, was Linux. Uh, then was Samba. Uh, it, re it really is a strong bond there, um, and it's excellent for very hard technical problems. The two projects I like the most are the GPL like Linux and Samba, and they both were faced with incredibly challenging technical problems. Uh, Linux for the complexity of the kernel, Samba for the complexity of the, the coding of complete proprietary uh, product at the time. And so they were very challenging problems. And by sharing knowledge, it was much easier to practice problem, uh, and so that's why I like it. Um, I like the fact it allows us to use a lot of existing code when it's compatible, and and I like it because if you do not want proprietary forks, it works very well. So these are still the same reasons I had back then. Maybe not the last one. It wasn't that, it wasn't that clear to me like that, but. Uh, there was this sense that you know you, you know it's free, but you you cannot do really what everything you want to do. But there are some rules. 
Okay, then I learned about permission licenses. After I got exposed to the internet um, for real, and it did change my perspective. Um, it didn't make the GPL less liked by me. And, it, and I did not understand what the permission license, but what the point was, until I finally found what Berkeley means. Because I'm not from the United States, and this is a point I would like to make. Sometimes there are bias in licenses that come from the U.S. culture, legal culture, and pop culture as well, that other people in other countries might not understand immediately. Uh, and it's another barrier to understanding some parts or some history behind licenses. Uh, for example, the whole ESD versus GPL or versus MIT stuff, it's something that is completely enabled for anybody that has not been living in the US and does, have, does not have any idea what it means competition between uh, uh, superior technical institutions uh, like the universities of the United States are very competitive, so some reasons why they have their own licenses and stuff like that comes from that. Uh, that's not something I've ever found in Italy or perhaps in most of Europe. Um, and so I learned about permissive licenses. After that, for many people uh, older than myself or that had been <coughs> in the US before I, I came, it probably had been the reverse. They learned about BSD first and then the new project got known. So that might have an impact. And might still have an impact which one you meet. Uh, I think. I think the imprinting effect works if you first meet the, the permission license, and it might be, or maybe not, uh, that's why some people are really strongly in favor of uh, Apache or BSD licenses, and some others are for the GPL. I think the imprinting effect is important. W what is the community they, you know, they are exposed first? So why they are awesome? I like that. I like all the licenses. Um, it allows you a lot of things, and I've used uh, permissive licenses, uh, even recently, and and this is what I learned after I made them. Uh, it allows you to dump code, uh, just abandon it. Uh, you don't care, but it allows you know someone else to pick it up without any problem. Uh, it's excellent, I think, for reference implementations where um, you really don't uh, have a reason to keep them free. Uh, as in the copyleft sense. Um, it is excellent for implementing financial standards where it is much more important to have uh, you know, software interoperate than keep it free. Because the very fact that it cannot interoperate can allow you to keep the freedom of your software all the time. Because network effects are really important and sometimes you have to give uh, in avo to avoid fragmentation and you know, to avoid uh, proprietary products being uh, using different stuff, I think. Uh, so file formats, uh, networking protocols might benefit from releasing software with permission licenses. Uh, people may not agree. I mean, if you don't agree, speak. So, uh, we use BSD license at my company mm -hmm. for ISC, for Bind. <coughs> The main reason we do that is because, well, we are a reference implementation, mm -hmm. we implement standards, networking protocol, and we want people to make it proprietary. Mm -hmm. And I hate all of that. So, yeah. um, but it's because still what we see is that instead of preventing forking, it actually enables people oh, yeah. to make proprietary extensions. That and also, 
kills your sense of community because companies don't give back. We've had cases where we reported to customers that we've had problems, and they said, oh yeah, we fixed that two years ago. It's like, well... Yeah, as, as you might notice, I don't put the Create Strong community in this slide. Why in the copyleft one. And to be honest, I don't really understand why people use permissive license instead of just putting it in the public domain. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I put the public domain um, in the same uh, bucket as permissive licenses because it's their ultimate ultimate permission. Do right. really whatever you want. I don't right. care. So, uh, believe it, uh, I'm probably best known for GPL enforcement, but I've actually done a little bit for some of Conservancy's projects BSD enforcement. Uh, there are cases where they are BSD developed, BSD licensed developers are upset at the failure to reproduce copyright notices. I know ISC license doesn't require that, but BSD license does. Right. And when you proprietize, you have to keep those copyright notices, and they, they want credit. So, so it's funny when people talk about, like, well, personal license, you, you can just do, do whatever you want. Well, if it's BSD, you have to preserve the copyright notices. So, so there, there is a certain amount of, they want attribution more than they want. Well, the whole point of the license is to make me preserve the license. Give me credit. <laughs> yeah, give me credit. <laughs> I, I want credit where credit yeah. is due. That's, that's the BSD philosophy. Uh, different ego. than the ISC because it doesn't require that. Ego and reputation. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> yes. Right? True. So, uh, to, to, I wasn't planning to, to, to give any advice on what you should use or sure. why. Sure. I really don't like that. But uh, personally, when I choose a permissive license, it's not for a full product. Right. It's usually a very small utility or actually um, a product implementation, so maybe a library. A library, yes. Uh, maybe not even complete. Um, I think there are some successful products that are completely uh, PSD. Yeah. Uh, I think. You like OSX? Huh? You mean like OSX? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you could argue that this is yeah, I, that's but, my point. Um, I think they actually have the problems, that all of them have the problem to say, um, they do not benefit from their license. Right. So if you're looking for a license to benefit your own project, I think the permissive license might not be appropriate. But it is your choice. Sure, of course. Um, so. And this is one of the reasons why I think simplifying licenses might make sense because some people do not understand this point. But again, how do you convey uh, these problems if you try to simplify? I mean, you're, I, I would be conveying an opinion. And is it right to do? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, on the other hand, I would like to convey the experience because I want to empower software developers to understand their choice, not make the choice for them. Um, next argument. Oh, dating CLAs. <laughs> I was forced to date a CLA. <laughs> and um, I've read that. Uh, this is the project I've been working for the last six, seven years. And when we started, um, our legal department wanted to experiment, you know, let's say. I, it's not, probably not a real thing, but th there were CLAs already in use in Red Hat. But um, I think it was part of almost an experiment to try to study a CLA with some project that was just starting from scratch. And they asked us to use a CLA with a creative project. And I didn't like it at all. 
uh, released in Tivoli, I was recalled. Um, and turned out I had good reasons uh, to really not like it. And the good thing is eventually uh, we convinced the legal department to get rid of it. Uh, however, some minor damage was done. Your lawyer is making a funny face. Yeah, Fontana helped me. <laughs> I, I, I need to give credit. I was waiting to do that. Well, I, I, it was a mistake, but actually, yes, I remember talking to you about it. Yeah. And, but then later on, I agreed with you. I, th I think I probably agreed with you all along. So we, we, we by the time we were talking, me and you, we already were like 99% in agreement. Uh, because I didn't bring it back to legal until I knew <laughs> there was a chance to discuss it. So just, what happened there was Red Hat, I think, thought that you had to have CLAs for... Yeah for open source projects. So it was just something that everyone did. I don't think there was very much thought about it. Otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Red Hat thought about the consequences. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't evil from Red Hat. Uh, it was really an experiment. And, I, and that's why I both hated it, but also accepted it at the time. Seymour, just for clarification, what type of CLA was it? Uh, just require. Um, I don't. It, it was an Apache. It was an Apache right. style. I don't actually even remember because I hate it so much. That <laughs> really <laughs> really well, can you do you have to sign a fax? Yeah, okay. you you had to sign and fax it. Could you explain what the good reasons were for hitting it ultimately? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. Um, uh, actually, let's start. Why they are evil? Probably. <laughs> um, they are very cumbersome legal documents, even when they are short. They are very difficult for developers to understand. Uh, most developers I know in free software have my saying gut reaction of hate. Uh, so they, it pushes some developers away just by the fact that you have the CLA letters anywhere in, on your website. Uh, that could be bad enough, but some developers, developers persist, they want to contribute. And it is often completely impossible. And that's the evil in the CLA. Uh, it's not that the people may have bad gut feelings, it's that they simply cannot contribute. So the case that really confirmed that the thing was bad and I have had to work with legal to remove it is that I had a developer that wanted to contribute stuff, but he was working for, um, I think, a university, and there was no way he would get through all the layers of legal, you know, in some university, to get approval to sign uh, a CLA, and and this was you know a guy that was working in a very um, permissive environment like a university. Think about someone that works in a government agency, has nothing to do with software, wants to do it on the side, or does it because his job requires him to fix something, and wants to contribute back a patch. There is no way he would even try, <coughs> and so this makes them able. And the reason why Red Hat, I think, would try to do uh, CLAs was the legal maintenance problem. Um, and, and was the reason why I accepted doing CLA. I will come to the, to the questions. Uh, because at the time, and still now, I believe the legal maintenance is a real issue that needs to be addressed in a project. Uh, however, the CLA um, is probably not the answer. Uh, let's take the question. Um, First, if someone is unable to get through the laser rotation of his or her organization for a CLA, that person was probably not authorized to release the patch involved under 
whatever uh, license to begin with? No, not not at all, not at all. Um, in some places it's much easier uh, to contribute software under the copyright of your employer. Because the problem is that that is something that is already sort of codified. And it's much easier to do because they retain the IP. So you're not going to the lawyer asking something completely crazy. You're going to the lawyer and say, well, there's IP, they need it. I mean, we retain the corporate notice, we have attribution for the university, for the governmental. They assume that every CLA is about assignments. Right. You have to transfer copyright. It means no, that that's no. copyright that's assignment. CLA is much less I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. No, 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 next question. No, no, no. Most CLAs, and including the type that was used here that was modeled on, on Apache's, are very similar to copyright assignments. Yeah. Um, they basically grant very broad relicensing or, or sub-licensing rights to the inbound. But let me cut the argument short. Even though it is not an actual copyright assignment, the language that is used and the effects are so close to it that the lawyers treat it the same way, whether they, it is actually or not. The process you have to go through is basically the same. So it doesn't really matter what is the actual legal construct you're using. It makes um, for a completely different process within a company or... In my experience, it makes a huge difference, actually. Well, okay. My, my employer would never sign a copyright assignment, but they'll sign a CLA that basically is the equivalent of a BSD license outbound. Sure, I mean... Which is a set, what the Apache license is supposed to be. It's effectively the same as... A BSD license, do whatever you and want. And that's and that's, uh, that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not true. It is true, but the experience is different with different people, sure. and different organizations. And, and your organization, I know you. <laughs> your organization is exposed to something. Uh, some organizations sure. are not. So sure. For those, it's completely something right. new. So it's sure. really difficult. Uh, and, and the other question was, how do you feel about the Project Harmony CLA model? Um, so I have to be honest, I haven't followed it. I didn't like the premises, so I just ignored it. Okay. I just ignored it. I, I hated the CLAs so much. Yeah. I don't even want to know about this thing. And that's not my own fit only. I mean, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't sign the CLA necessarily. I know what they are now. Uh, it's not very helpful for the debate that you don't want to know about well, I know that, uh, but that's the developer perspective. <coughs> I mean, I'm not the only one. I know a ton of developers that will tell you, I don't care what are your reasons for the CLA. I'm just staying away. That's my experience. I got people telling me that. Until you have the CLA on the project, I'm not even looking at it. At the whole project. I don't want to contribute, but I'm not looking at the whole project on principle. That's my experience. Not saying it's that's correct. Not saying it's fair. Well, it's, it's more like to me, but yeah. Sure. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. So I, I completely changed my positions on CLAs over the last ten years because I was I was for it before I was against it, and <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. It's but I, I think you, I think you should change your position with new information. And what what I really discovered was that the, 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 the argument that became compelling to me to convince me CLAs were bad was that it's effectively saying the license of your project isn't enough. The only CLA I think is any good is it says, I agree that my contributions is licensed under the, con under the license of the project. That's a CLA, it's a very minimalist CLA, and it's what Fontana has dubbed inbound equals outbound. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right, because if the GPL is a good license, then that should be good enough for everybody, and everybody who contributes to say, yes, I agree to the GPL. If Apache is a good license, mm -hmm. everybody should say, yes, I agree to Apache. And I don't think you need an extra agreement 
unless the license is buggy. And if the license is buggy, as Montana would point out, we should fix the buggy license. There are perfectly good reasons to have CLA, but I would agree that, especially in projects where you have individual developers from very diverse organizations, that it probably is not a good idea. But not every ecosystem, not every <coughs> developer community is the same. And for some sure. communities, it makes a lot of sense to have that. Possibly. I, I'm just saying that if you care about the real community, and by real community I mean not just three companies sharing uh, a project. Yeah, and precisely the kind of community yeah. I'm talking about, and those do exist as well. Right, sure. And I'm not saying that those communities are wrong or there's anything bad. Red has a lot of them. Uh, uh, please. Yeah, um, a sort of an example of what you are talking about, I think, because uh, I'm part of Ulysses, which is uh, at the University of Leuven, like a small group of ICD enthusiasts running <coughs> a sort of small, it's not really a business, but more like a small group doing hosting for students' organizations and stuff. And so we, we are changing to a non-profit now, and one of the things we have been thinking about is actually a CLA, which is apparently not very good, according to some people. Now, the point is that um, we have the problem now that people, like 10 years ago, because we exist for like 20 years nearly, and uh, we have a lot of code, like small scripts and stuff, that have been written by people five years ago, and they're not clearly under any kind of license. And we have the problem that sometimes other students' organizations ask us, yeah, the script, uh, you guys use it, we know that it exists, that it works this way. We would like to have a look at that. And we have to email someone we hardly know from five years ago to ask, yeah, what's the license of this? Can we actually share this? And so internally we have had this argument, is it a good idea to have everybody who becomes a new member as soon as we have become a non-profit, gives all the, the rights to the software to the organization so it can possibly license it while perhaps retaining also the rights of you as a contributor so like sharing the copyright in some kind of way but in that case i think it would not be bad to have something like cla let me tell you about the summer project my last point there but uh, i can start talking about that now um we have never accepted car uh, corporate copyright in summer code and we don't have a CLA. Well, that, that's not well, not completely true. Not completely slight, true. Slight exaggeration. Uh, no. After some point. No, but the, you recently accepted some. Yeah. I will. I will get okay. to that. Okay. Wait a second. <laughs> so um, uh, historically, uh, we did not. Well, as soon as the summer project understood something about licensing, um, uh, we have not uh, accepted cop uh, corporate copyright. Um, we always asked for the person working uh, uh, to have personal copyright in Samba. We asked those people to go to their employer and get an exception. Uh, and, and, and this is not something that every project can do, I understand. Um, the Samba project has always had a very small core of developers and then a constellation. And um, it was much easier uh, for us because we are die-hard GPL people anyway, so you had to get permission for the GPL part. And, and at the time, there was no company that had really any policy around it. It was new. So if you had to go through that, to, to jump through that, those hoops, it was as easy to just ask for this 
thing. And the people that are working on somebody point for companies, um, we're working generally um, on a pretty critical project, and so those companies didn't really have reason to say no. Um, to the problem of, but what happens when people leave and go away? Well, actually, the reason why we have this policy in Samba is that, uh, at least for our ecosystem, we have a lot, a lot more companies going away than people going away. Um, and when a company goes away, you have absolutely no way to get at, at whatever remains, because you don't even know who has the rights anymore, where they are, who you contact. And even if you were able to find out that uh, the new entity would probably have no uh, incentive to even reply to you. Uh, and so for us, personal copyright was fundamental in order to be able to maintain uh, uh, the show because reaching people is much easier to reach in corporations. Although some people in the US think that corporations are people. <laughs> so real people actually reply to you. Real people tend to, you know, especially people have been involved and voluntarily provided code to you, tend to have a, a better stake in the project, tend to sometimes to stick around, but even those that go away tend to you know, reply to you and tend to accommodate you if you have a request. If, if they can, it's not too much burden on them. And we never had really big reasons to contact people, although we did relicense some stuff in Samba. We some well, we, we had a big relicense from GPL to to three, but that didn't require any contact because we always had the own later provisions. So we, you know, once the team decided the GPL three was away, we just bought relicense, and we assumed that you know everybody okay <coughs> there. But we did relicense from GPL to LGPL some components because uh, we found out that we built a library, we want to share it with more people. Uh, in Samba, we have this concept that if you are an open source project, they come to us and say, I really need this piece, but uh, because of the way I construct this stuff, I really need it to be LGPL, we will consider your request. If you're asking for the whole Samba to go LGPL because that will make your product easier, we'll say no. Uh, but so we did realize in some pieces. Yeah, in that last part, you, the last thing about relicensing, can <coughs> you give an example of why it would be very difficult for us to not use a CLA of some sort? If we, for example, have uh, a script, we have one script that we have been using for like 10 years or something, which does a scoring system at a, a really event. And uh, it's now under GPL, but we actively need to change things because, for example, the course could get longer or more teams are added. Now, if we would have to relicense it, we would still have to contact every single developer sure. that worked on that script. Sure. While if we said that, okay, copyright is now not only owned by the person making the difference, but also Ulysses, our organization, mm -hmm. that would be perfectly possible. And sure. I don't think the developers would mind, so I don't think that the CLA is in every case bad. It's usually bad. No, I say it's bad for me. I don't like it. companies, but it's not yeah. with, yeah. yeah. No, I, I say CLA is bad for me. I don't like it. And it tends to be attached to a corporation usually. Uh, if a CLA is attached to a non-profit, uh, it's probably, yeah, well, I put that, it's probably, it may be a, very, a good idea. I mean, 
uh, I can't say CLAs are bad for everybody. I really can't say it. It really depends on the nature of the project to some degree. Um, if it's three companies that are building something that they only care about and they really don't care about the random contributions from the outside, from people that may have a problem with CLAs, uh, maybe it's okay. Uh, for somebody, we didn't want to do that. Um, and yes, we do accept some corporate copyrights now, but uh, what we ask them usually is that because now companies know about the GPL and because now they have policies, some companies are not really willing to give personal copyrights to their employee anymore because they say, no, we are comfortable with GPL, so why are you requesting that? So what we did is that, well, if you really have to commit a body of code, what we can do, and it seems like at least the company Samba work with, uh, is that you can transfer the copyright to software conservancy, for example. And so in that way, we do accept uh, corporate copyright, but we ask for, you know, then we tell them really prefer if they transfer um, copyrights to the uh, conservancy, uh, which they are usually comfortable with because it's, it's, a, it's a legal entity, it's not a personal project, it's kind of, you know, <coughs> a legal limbo, and, and so they like that. Uh, on the changing your, your script license, we also do not care too much if some person is not available. Um, um, because worst case, we just write a single bit of code. I mean, if you have 10 developers and you have 100 lines of code by one and you can reach him, and you really think that he would be opposed to any license change or you have any reason to doubt it, I mean, you just rewrite th those 100 li lines and, and you just remove uh, the need for asking. Uh, but that's the worst case. We try to not do that. We have no reason to do that by default. Yeah. It's just our way to deal with it. What's just that? This year we had like this huge problem with like uh, the people helping us with the scoring, requesting to check the script because there was some kind of issue, and we had to wait a full week for the person to respond, which left us with three days to finish everything. Yeah, I understand. It might it might be a problem. Doesn't really help when people need to Zurich. So yeah. yeah, I we. We, we never had that kind of problem, you know, needing a week to, to, to react. But e even if we did have that problem, we would deal with it. I mean, we think that the compromise is good enough for us. And just our uh, system it doesn't have to be everybody's system. And it's my completely my opinion that CLAs are bad. I mean, I, I don't pretend to say that they must be bad. Maybe there are some CLAs that. Good. I, don't know. I mean, the one we use in the Fedora project is not really a CLA anymore. Uh, it's probably still technically a CLA. Uh, to some we don't degree. call it CLA. Yeah, we don't call it that. But uh, technically, it probably is. But um, it's very, very, very simple and straightforward. It doesn't really require uh, much sign off. No. But it doesn't fall through the BSD, right? MIT. MIT. Yeah. Yeah. You could put an alternative license on Yeah, but it, has it defaults to non copyleft even if you're No, no, the right. default, I think the default is whatever is the license uh, of the thing you have contributed to. No, no, the for code, the default is MIT license, but but explicitly any any contributor can put an explicit license on the code. For uh, for content, the default is actually a copyleft license, CC by SA, the Creative Commons copyleft license. Yeah, what, what the point is, is that if the contributor contributes with the GPL header, it's fine with my us. We don't we don't yeah, consider right. it MIT, it's GPL. Right, exactly. so basically, the, the contributor has the choice of the license, okay. well, which is, which is within, bounds. Hmm? within bounds. Within bounds. They can't just do anything they want. There, there's some, they have, some restrictions on They have on to have the legal accept. right to submit the code. 
No, what I'm saying is they can't send you the agreement and say, and the license is, you're not allowed to redistribute no, no, to the it, military. It has to be a free software oh, license, oh, right. as defined by the Free Software Foundation right. or OSI yeah. you know, or something like that. Right. And right. they have to have the right to do that. And uh, they, cannot, they cannot send a patch uh, under the Apache license to a program that is a GPLv2. I mean, they have to right. send something that is compatible, of course. Right. But that's not, I mean, we can simply refuse. <laughs> Uh, there was a question somewhere. Go. So, you know, what's your personal situation with Red Hat? Do you own, own your own copyright in code for Samba? That's an interesting question. So, <laughs> when I drafted my contract uh, many years ago, I retained copyright on my contributions to Samba because the project required that, and Red Hat was perfectly fine with it. I don't know about the free API project, what is the actual exact situation with all of, of the code because there is a bit of samba and other things but uh, to be honest I don't care even if the code was uh, read as copyright for that part. I'm fine with whatever. Uh, do we still have time? As long as there are questions. Well I, I want to introduce just another argument that it doesn't really have to do much with experience but I think it might be interesting. Oh, Perhaps uh, one remark <coughs> for a situation where uh, contribution agreements might be helpful. So I'm involved uh, in a project where a company that's working a lot of free software sees uh, many problems that big companies uh, get the, the right internally to license their code under a free software license. Uh, for a different reason. One of them is these companies have no problem that it's free software, but they don't want to be the copyright holder, the licensor, and so on. And in this situation, the idea is to construct an association that such companies can transfer the copyright to that association to be licensed under free software license. That's what we do with conservancy and contributors to some code that don't want to uh, uh, just give the code that way. But I don't. I don't consider that a CLA, or I mean, I don't. Technically, yes. Yeah. To me, the CLA is bad when it's really compulsory against the will of the people who want to contribute, or or that uh, creates obstacle for people to contribute. <coughs> it's completely, you know, voluntary act from the source of the code. Yeah, I mean, just assign a copyright someone else. Yeah, I mean, that's you that's want it. Nobody's so. their name on the code, right? Because they're afraid their name will be on right. it. Uh, that's a, an involuntary, you know, donation of the code, so I don't really have anything against that. Um, so this is the thing I wanted to say at last, copyright and parasite. Um, and this is something I've been thinking about for a long time, uh, but never formalized in any way. And I think, you know, th th it's, it's quite clear that, and it was pointed today uh, uh, about the ISC, that Permissive licenses has to have parasites, and they're really damaging. Uh, however, I'd like to point out that copyleft licenses are not uh, excluded from parasites. Um, um, there can be parasites to GPL distributed software. They come as uh, under capping. Uh, uh, I, I have in mind cases where people take open office, repackage it for Windows and try to sell it to people. It's their legal right to do that because, oh, or maybe that's not, you know, that 
the license of a good afternoon of your best choice. But if you do that with GPL, it's legal. You can package and package it and try to sell it to them. There is no restriction to that. But they often do that in a very bad way. You know, uh, it's not really good people doing it. They're not providing services or anything. They're trying to trick people to, to pay for something that they shouldn't be paying if they knew that it's also available for free. So it's not the, the good business model where you're <coughs> upfront about the software being GPL and you know, going to a customer and say, you know, uh, this is GPL free software, but I provide this and this service on the side, or I, you know, I give you updates, whatever. It's the bad model where someone tries to sneakily make you buy something and maybe even create a scam where they uh, sign you up for a subscription and your credit card is charged for X amount of euros every month or every year or something like that. So those are also parasites of even the GPL and it would be nice to have a way to better solve this problem. Uh, and one <coughs> way I've seen doing that is trademark because trademarks allow you to set some policies there, maybe. At least, you know, have to rename the software so they cannot ride on the popularity of a piece of software to do their, their, their game. Um, but I don't know that that uh, is a good idea. Um, some people are allergic to trademarks in our community, or have been at least in the past, or using trademarks to enforce additional restrictions as they call it, so it's just an open question. I mean, is this a problem that we can simply ignore or is it something that we should address? Maybe, maybe, maybe two questions. Two questions. Are you then suggesting licenses like the MPL, which says like, okay, Mozilla, the name, the Firefox logo, they are trademark, you can use them, but you can use the code, such things then? Possibly. <laughs> Uh, that's an example. That's an example. Yeah, um, it also gives the problems with like, yeah, distros having difficulty with when they want to do a small change. They can't make Firefox, so you get like a typical yeah. canonical license. Yeah, I'm not proposing change. anything. I'm, I, I'm really. This is a question. I mean, is there anything we can do? Is there, is there a way to use this, that technique without uh, getting back the the, the problems? There? I, I just spent a lot of years working on a project that has this exact problem. Can you share the experience some way? Um, yeah, that problem absolutely exists. The people out there will harm the reputation of your project by doing things that the license allows them to do, but that you wish they wouldn't do. And there isn't any language in the license you can use to stop them if they're complying. You know, they deliver the source code or a written offer or whatever the license obligates them to do. Um, we also had a trademark and spent enormous amounts of money and time managing the trademark around the world, which is a non-trivial exercise. Yeah, that's probably um, And we have spoken to a number of um, well-regarded open source attorneys about the fact that yes, you could absolutely consider that to be a additional restriction in your software is not actually under the GPL <laughs> version two. It's really somebody's opinion somewhere if it ever gets to that. Um, so it's, a, uh, very, I'm not, it's, I'm not, it's I'm a very, very difficult problem. Yeah. And the worst problem is the one that he just alluded to, is that drafting some policy that can conclusively define what is allowed modification that you can still use the trademark and what's disallowed is nearly impossible. It, it's it's sub totally subjective, at which point it's not a policy anymore. It's just a, please don't do this. And if you do something at all like, we're going to come after you. Mm -hmm.
Okay, I think we're out of time. Thank you, Simo. Thank you. So it was quite a while ago, but I remember the talk being uh, being really interesting. Well, I think that given the current climate about CLAs, what Simo <laughs> was saying negatively about CLAs is... Well, the timing is kind of perfect for us to record this. I suppose that's true, although it'll be a bit late. Maybe maybe we'll know how the OpenStack thing sorted out, but mm. there was... Uh, I wrote a blog post uh, for Conservancy about CLAs, and then Node.js dropped their CLA, and there was a huge threat on Floss Foundations about CLAs. Mm-hmm. The tide is turning. I suppose. Well, I like uh, Larry, Larry Rosen claims that the reason we have CLAs is because of these horrible free software developers <laughs> who, who are trying to rip off pro projects and companies. I have to say that your, re your response to Larry Rosen was one of the best mailing list responses I've ever My seen. My earlier response was earlier yeah. post, yeah. Word. So you can say it because it's, there's no Chatham House rule or anything with Floss Foundations. Well, I'm saying what you said anyway, and you yeah. would be here to object, and you actually will probably be the one to send the audio files to Dan, so you could simply not, you could, you could edit it out if you didn't want me to, so. Okay. So, but anyway, I don't remember, do you remember what he said? So he I said, guess he, said he said, Bradley wants all software to be free, what a dreamer. Yeah, <laughs> and Bradley said, Larry, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> well, and then I said, I hope someday you'll join us, Larry. Yes. So great. Yeah. There was a side thread about whether I infringed on Lennon's copyrights. Off list. Was there? I missed that. I have a fair, I argued I had a fair use defense, mm -hmm. which I clearly do. So besides, I think his copyright should have expired by now because that's, that was released in 1971. So. Copyrights from 71 should have expired by now. Well, I mean, they should have in, in, in a just right, policy. And that's on the underlying work, not in the recordings, because the recordings were found to have had some common law coverage. Remember, like, the whole Beatles copyright yeah. situation that caused the those works to be still under copyright long after they should have expired? So weird. It's pretty pretty terrible. But the, the recording stuff is a bit confusing. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so... Back to Simo's talk. Well, and, and he, he talked about encountering GPL first, which probably doesn't happen as much anymore. The people encounter G copyright Apache licenses before. Probably first. No, they, they, I mean, all these JavaScript people, they mm, that's true. permissive MIT license is the first thing they see, mm. or ISC license, or something like that. I mean, they were so confused in the JavaScript community that they thought to make something compatible with GPL, you had to dual license GPL permissive MIT. Mm. I mean, these are the level of, basically it's eternal September of licensing and I think everybody has to reinvent and we're going back through the BSD period now where people are doing everything under non-copyleft yeah and not realizing what they're giving up yeah I think people often have to learn the hard way I guess well, although it's hard to know what's going to happen you know it's really hard to predict well and Simo talked about the uh, how he felt about what non-copyleft licenses are useful for and that the problem space that you're thinking about should decide some amount of your license choices, mm -hmm. which I probably agree with. I think even there's this statement on FSF's website that they even agree with that. Um, the Apache Software Foundation's misquoted that from time to time, but they mm -hmm. basically say for certain things, like Simo said, with reference implementations, that non-copyleft licenses are a better choice in some cases. 
So there was actually an episode of the Software Freedom Law Show, one of the very early episodes where we described that as being sort of social versus antisocial behavior in terms of um, choosing a license of a community. And at that time, it was because we knew of someone who was um, contributing to a permissively licensed project, but doing so by slapping the GPL on his contributions. Yeah, but that's uh, that show's not free, isn't it? That show's non-free. That's software freedom. Oh, the so- <laughs> um, actually, I don't know what the licensing is on that show. <laughs> Did you ever get it anymore. fixed before you left? I got an agreement that it would be fixed. I don't know if it was ever implemented. Oh, okay, I just figured that I would say that because it was funny. But because uh, you used to like. I did. Non- I did used licenses. to like no derivatives. I was really well, paranoid so did I, about so it. It's pretty. I think a lot of us did, and we've kind of come around to it because it, non-free licenses are... And Simo didn't actually talk about any non-free, like, like how develop. Actually, that would have been an interesting addition to his talk, how developers feel about non-free licenses. Yeah. But I guess he, he's not an expert in that because he doesn't talk to many <laughs> developers who encounter non-free licenses. And also as the audience, I, the I, audience I just, that paused I, I don't understand. Like they, they, I, I, on the news, they were talking recently about how many weeks it would take to read all of Facebook's agreements and Google's agreements about half as long, but it would still take weeks. And I don't agree to these things. I said LinkedIn was the worst, actually. But oh, these, really? Yeah, that these agreements, it was longest. It was the longest. Mm. But I, I, I just don't understand why. And I, because of last show, because of uh, two shows ago, I accidentally watched that Tom Preston Warner video again. Which one? This is the one I mentioned uh, when we talked about Fontana's talk. And when I was preparing the show notes for that show, I wanted to make sure I had the right video to link to of his keynote where he said basically the GPL, like you have to go back to first principles. First principle is freedom and the GPL doesn't meet that because it's too long. Oh, oh right, right. And and so I'm going back to that. I'm thinking like, I was just thinking about like how long a GitHub's terms of service is longer than the GPL, I think. And it's sort of like what people yeah, don't... Yeah, people are think, okay with terms of service. It's really weird to me. It's stupid. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me uh, the, because these terms of service are very restrictive. And I think in some cases, some of them contradict GPL or make it difficult or cause you Section 7 problems in V2 and all that sort of thing. And nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody cares about that issue. I don't think that nobody cares about the issue. I think people actually feel kind of helpless about terms of service and they don't necessarily take them very seriously either. Um, and so I think they firstly they underestimate the problem, and then secondly, even if they do appreciate that there's a problem, it's really not clear about what to do. I mean, I've had terms of service changed with companies, um, but in order to do that, I had to kind of put together coalitions of organizations that had an interest, and um, you know, and approach the companies. Just don't use these services. Don't use Twitter. Don't use Facebook. Don't use LinkedIn. I mean, I agree with you, except it's that so simple. It's so simple to solve this problem. I've really kind of, I mean, as people know, I'm I'm now, you know, I'm now using Twitter sometimes because I feel like I need to in order to be, you know, to be heard, and it's tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, and you need to to adopt all of these terrible terms of service to just use basic services like banking services. Every website, everything we do has a website interface that has some terrible terms of service that they then update without properly notifying you, which has legal ramifications. But, but still, I, I did. The you, only, they, they the now, only, most well, websites, if you've seen most services now, when you log in, often have ticked a, I agree to new terms of service, or I, that, that's the newest wave. Mm-hmm. And it's really disturbing because 
first of all, people don't understand the terms of service even if they do click through. Um, and those people, I mean, most developers would understand the, the terms of service if they took the time to read them. But who has the time? Because it takes some, you know, it's, they're so complex and involved, which is what you were talking about before. I, I, well, I, I mean, I don't, the only online banking that I do is on Conservancy's behalf, not my own behalf. So, I, I mean, I, I just, I think we need to boycott these things. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I agree with you. This but is sort of off topic. Seema didn't talk about this. We should no, move. yeah, maybe we should get back to this. <laughs> but yeah, so I, 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 think, I totally agree with you. I try to avoid services, but when it comes down to it, I really want to maintain a Facebook account so that people will invite me to parties. Well, that's just not important enough. It's not. Um, You're right. Develop, developers. I don't use, I don't post anything on Facebook, but I, you know, it, it actually, that's a little bit of an overgeneralization. People do contact me on Facebook for um, for software freedom-related things, which is upsetting, but it's often the only way that people think of to get in touch with you. And if they're, you're not easy to get in touch with, they'll get in touch with somebody else. Well, I think that what matters to me here is whether is basically the, what Simo was talking about, is that developers are the most likely people that are going to look into this issue of, of the licensing of software. I think I think that the I mean Zima didn't say that, but I think from the context, it's kind of true that that and that's why I invite, I really wanted him to give that talk was because he's a he's purely developer really, and he got involved in licensing and interested in licensing just because it was in his face, it was there. I mean, I mean like he talks about being introduced through the GPL, and so from that point of view, I think it's really important. I, th I think we have to talk to developers about this because they're the ones likely to actually bother because nobody's going to bother. Nobody cares anymore. And, and it, it disturbs me that developers don't care about these terms of service issues. Lawyers don't care. I can't get anybody interested in the fact that, for example, I, my view is certain terms of service probably contradict TPL, and I can't get anybody to care. Uh, everybody says, no, it, they find these bizarre ways to say that it doesn't because well, that is a complex analysis. if it did well th then basically people want uh, they're biased to a certain outcome because if this contradicts the gpl there's a slippery slope where all these terms that people are agreeing to are contradicting gpl and we mm. can't go down that terms of, that's that slippery slope and it started with the with the red hat services agreement <laughs> um so i i just worry about that situation of these other agreements impacting licenses um, so I'll have to get Simo to come back next Fosdem and give a talk on that if he wants to. Yeah. I don't know if he wants to. I bet he doesn't. No. But maybe he will. So uh, so are we? Do we have any Fosdem talk? I think we're. In, I think we have no recording. Are left. we done? I think we might be done. Well, I should load the Fosdem page just to be sure. Why don't we? Why don't we do a second, a next, another section where we'll talk about uh, what's to come. And what's to come with what? With our show. I don't know. What's to, uh, how are we going to figure Fade that out? Fade out to music. So we're done with Fosdem. Yeah, the, the last record, the last talk we didn't have a good enough recording of, so we've, we're done with all the Fosdem 2013 talks that we had. The, the issue is what we do about 2014, and only a few people sent in opinions on that. And the key thing that I wanted an answer to, I haven't come to a clear conclusion, which is that I, everybody's in agreement that they want to hear what we think about the Fosdem 2014 talks. But no one has really answered the question of whether it's important or not to put the audio in. And I can't figure out what the right solution is. Because mm -hmm. the audio is widely available because the, all the FOSDEM talks were recorded this year, which was very good. The Debian uh, video team uh, coordinated to record them. So they're all available online. And the thing that I don't have an answer to is, should we put the audio in the episodes like we did with 2013 or not? I'm and sort of inclined no not to. No one has an to. answer. 
because the, the videos are available. The problem is that if somebody just downloads the Augcast and takes it with them, they might get stuck with an Augcast they can't really listen to. I mean, are we definitely going to cover all of those talks too? Well, if we do it at all, that's this issue. This is the thing we need an answer to. This is the thing I need an answer to. I get it. And no one has an answer. I don't have an answer. Well, we're, we're just going to do one of the things. <laughs> that's telling me I have an appointment. Um, and with that, I guess we should go. <laughs> yeah, we have an appointment. Karen and I have a conference call we have to do. So, and my computer was telling me this is if you are on an appointment with me, I, that's what it tells me every time. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna we're gonna do a conference call. I guess if people want to write in again to say whether we should record the audio, I think we're just gonna make a decision. We'll just make a decision. I don't think people need to write in again. The few people that had strong opinions were already told us what those were yeah but i don't think anybody has a strong opinion on that i i don't know i i mean i'm i'm inclined to put it in because you can just speed through it but what do i know more than i do <laughs> I, I i think actually I, oh i remember i figured this out i forgot that i figured this out the answer is this what we do is we put the audio in but we have to make uh, to make a good estimate of the time signature. And that's tough because we don't know the exact time signature. But we can say roughly you're going to speed to this far ahead. Like the the audio, you need to go this many minutes ahead to, pa to pass the audio. I see. That's And that way people can speed through and they know how far to speed through. Because the whole bookmarking thing in, in AUG and MP3 files, it, it never works right, I'm told. Um, so... That's the answer, is we okay. have to record when to speak. Because we don't normally say that, because we don't know exactly the time index. We have to give a rough estimate so people can speed through it. But if we talk about each of those Fosdom 2014 shows, those are episodes through... I mean, that's a lot of talks. Yeah, well... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, wait, wait, wait. We have a lot of content. <laughs> What's the problem? It's, it's, it's not nice filler for us. Less work for us, Karen. But there's so much to talk about. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll, maybe we'll do some. Okay. Okay. So we may not do it at all at this point. So you may never hear a Fosdom talk on the show again. This may be the last Fosdom talk you ever it, hear. It may be. Reason Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Reason Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Reason Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Reason Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. I mean, you know, so, okay, yeah. we can pick it up. It's probably, no, it's fine, we, um, we'll just record it after.